Hello and welcome to Social Science Weekly, where we take the most important social science papers, giving you just the facts and none of the spin. The paper we're looking at today is a particularly rich study called Black Lives Matter's Effect on Police Lethal Use of Force, and it was published in the Journal of Urban Economics in September 2023. And the sole author of this paper is Travis Campbell, who's an economist who works at Southern Oregon University in the United States. Okay, let's get started. In the last decade, uh, Black Lives Matter has become a very powerful political force in the United States and around the world. It was clear um, as the 2020 protests erupted around the world uh, following the death of George Floyd that this movement had the power to affect political discourse and change the behaviour of our institutions. However, their motivations and methods are controversial, with some believing they are a force for good and others believing they do more harm than good. But uh, what is correct? Um, Just what is the effect that uh, BLM is having on policing and crime in the United States? Uh, The author seeks to provide an answer to this question. They look at various cities and towns around the United States that have experienced uh, BLM protests um, and ask whether BLM have achieved their stated goal. For instance, are fewer Americans being killed by police officers? And they also look at other things. So they look at how the protests have influenced things like like other crimes. So such as murder, so they look at murder rate and the number of crimes that are actually being solved. And they also look at how, um, more generally, in uh, how police behaviour has changed uh, in the wake of the protests. Okay, so now let's explore what the data can tell us and what the data cannot tell us. To understand the influence of the Black Lives Matter movement on police behaviour and crime, the study gathers data from various sources. The first thing they wanted to look at was just where have BLM protests occurred around the United States, which cities and towns. And they do this, they get data from uh, three different sources that all bring different strengths to the table. And I've provided uh, uh, links to these data sources in the show notes. So the first data set is actually from another paper, And this data gives daily information on the number of protests that occurred between August 9th, 2014 and August 9th, 2015, and give a rough estimate of the number of protests at each event. Um, However, it does not actually specify what the protests were about, and obviously this is a very narrow time window. The second data set is from Elifram, Uh, a website that is designed to track protests. And this data spans July 2014 to the end of 2021 uh, and has data on the date and the city or town that the protest took place in, along with the subject being protests. So whether the protest, for example, was about police brutality. And they also sometimes provide quite a rough estimate of the number of participants And then finally, the third data set to establish whether a BLM protest has taken place was from a place called the Crowd Counting Consortium. And they provide a daily list of protests in places in the United States from April 2017 onwards. 
and this includes what the protests were about um, and um, a rough estimate of the number of participants again. And the authors combine all of this data together. They say that a town or a city had had a BLM protest on a particular day if one or more of these three sources report it. Uh, they measured the intensity of the protest as the average number of participants reported across all these sources to, to have attended, so the size of the protest. And finally, um, they only looked at the protests that they could prove were related to police violence or police brutality, something that BLM is interested in. And what they found was that uh, just over a thousand cities and towns in the US have experienced BLM protests between the organization's inception in 2013-2014 and uh, up to 2021. Uh, the next thing they had to measure was police lethal force during that same period. So how often are police killing civilians? Uh, this is actually not as easy as it sounds to get data for because there's no official centralized database of police lethal force in the United States because all of the different police agencies have quite a lot of independence. So to do this, they use two different data sets, again, with different strengths and weaknesses. And again, um, I've linked to these data sources in the, in the show notes. So the first set of data they use is called Fatal Encounters. This is an organization that tracks fatal police encounters across the United States, and they collect the data in a variety of ways um, and actually have qu quite a nice formal verification process that makes the data a little bit more robust and reliable. However, this data had some limitations. Um, the first thing is it actually had very little information on the race of the victim, Obviously, uh, BLM are very concerned about uh, black people that get killed by police, and there's no information like that in this data set. And also, they had quite an overly broad definition of uh, police homicide, uh, and this that included uh, suicides subsequent to police encounters and also stuff that happened while the officer was not on duty. So to compensate for this, they used a second data set that was called Mapping Police Violence. Um, this data did not have the same weaknesses, but did come with some of its own. Uh, the data was uh, does not have the same degree of validation and verification that the Fatal Encounters data has. Um, so there is a so it relies on a wide range of third-party sources that may not be as reliable. However, the core findings uh, didn't change when they switched between these data sets, suggesting that the findings they made were quite robust. So as well as police-involved uh, fatal encounters, the authors also wanted to look at the effect of BLM protests on other aspects of crime and police behaviour. So first they looked at how the use of body-worn cameras changed um, across all the different police forces in the United States, uh, using data from a supplement that was released called Body Worn Camera Supplement, that and that came out in 2016. And this data looked at whether the different police forces started using body worn cameras and also their self reported reasons for doing that. Uh, this data is available at a very local level, so individual agencies, which is great. 
but it is also limited because it was only collected for one year, 2016. Uh, the final thing the authors looked at was overall crime, in particular the murder rate and number of crimes being solved in the wake of BLM protests. So the crime rate in the study is sourced from the Uniform Crime Reporting Program data, um, which again I've linked to in the show notes, and this provides yearly crime data at a very local level, spanning all the way back to 1960 to 2020. And so they looked at a variety of crime metrics, including property crime, violent crime, murder rates, uh, assaults on police officers to quantify how dangerous a place is for police officers. And then also, of course, um, uh, uh, how often police officers themselves are murdered by, by civilians. Okay, so now that they have all of this data, they needed a way of gauging the impact of the BLM protests on police behavior and, and crime rates. Um, and the author does this in quite a clever way. He does it by comparing the places that had very early BLM protests defined as um, the first major wave of BLM protests around 2015, 2016, in the wake of the death of uh, Michael Brown, and compared that those places to places that had protests much later. So the, so the places that had protests in the wake of George Floyd's death in 2020. And then they look at the change that happened in those early places in those five years compared to that, compared to that baseline of people that got protests later. And which is really clever, but there are a few things to bear in mind about this approach. Uh, most of the places that experienced those early protests, well, they tended to be big cities uh, compared to the 2020 wave, which included a lot more kind of small towns. And this makes it hard to rule out that the differences in crime and police behavior are not due to just differences in those things in cities and towns. And just finally, one other thing to bear in mind is that this study does not establish causation. So... There may be other factors besides the ones the authors were able to get data for that might account for, you know, some of the effect that we're seeing. Okay, so now on to the findings. The first finding is that uh, BLM protests reduce the incidence of police killings of civilians, meeting the BLM uh, objective. The author estimates that around 200 fewer people were killed by police between 2014 and 2019 that couldn't be attributed to the BLM protests. Uh, this reduction, however, was in lethal force was across the board. So it's not just in the cases where a person was sort of unarmed. Uh, this also include, uh, included, this 200 number includes um, also like uh, armed violent offenders who, who, are not being, who are not being killed by police. Um, a caveat is, though, that this reduction in police killings totally goes away when you control for the total number of arrests that the officers are making. Uh, and what this suggests is that um, the reduction that we're seeing in police uh, police killing of civilians uh, occurs because the police are actually just having fewer encounters with civilians. They're making fewer arrests. And that leads us on to finding two, which is that the BLM protests have 
are also associated with more crime. So in places that have BLM protests, um, murder rates go up. The author estimates around 3,000 additional murders due to the first BLM wave. And also the number of solved crimes, uh, solved property crimes, also went down in those places. Uh, finding number three, the authors um, were able to characterize the kinds of places that were likely to get BLM protests in the first place. So the places that experience BLM protests, why they tend to be, one, more wealthy, two, have more university-level education, and three, uh, more left-wing voters. Um, on top of this, they also tend to have quite large, dense populations with a high proportion of poor black people. And they also tended to have more crime. And the police also tended to have lower salaries, be more subject to uh, abuse and assault. Um, and finally, these places also tended to have a higher proportion of black police officers. And just one final finding, uh, the BLM protest seems to have increased the wearing of body cameras uh, by police in, in, in their activities. And the reasons why officers uh, say they're wear now wearing body cams has changed as a result of the protests. So they used to say that it was to collect high quality evidence for prosecutions and to protect themselves against liability. Now the reasons seem to be more increasingly more community perception uh, to reduce the use of force they have to, have to make or another common in common reason is they're just they're running a pilot they're just trying it out okay so wrapping up uh, the authors wanted to look at the effect that blm protests had on police behavior and crime in the united states uh something known as the ferguson effect uh, they did this by comparing towns and cities in the USA that experienced early BLM protests in 2015 to those that experienced them much later in 2020. And the main finding is that uh, the protests do have the desired effect. Um, fewer civilians are killed by police in those areas. Uh, however, this does seem to be because police are just encountering people less and making fewer, fewer arrests. And this means that the murder rate has also gone up and uh, more crimes are going unsolved by the police. Um, they also showed that the places likely to have BLM protests in the first place tended to be big cities with poor black populations. They also tended to be, to be highly educated and have a bias towards left-wing politics. And, fi and finally, it's also, they are also very difficult places to be a police officer with high crime rates, less safety and lower salaries for police officers. And then the protests also have led to a change in police agencies adapting body cameras in their work. Uh, but the reasons for doing so have also changed and it's now less to do with collecting evidence and more to do with community perception. Okay, we will provide a link to this paper and other interesting resources in the description below. If you found this useful, please like and subscribe. It helps us out. It means we can make more of these videos. And to keep up to date with Social Science Weekly, you can get us on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. And that's it for Social Science Weekly, bringing you just the facts, none of the spin, from the best and most important social science.